Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 87 of the App Advice Weekly Podcast. This is your host, Trevor Sheridan of AppAdvice.com, and joining me as usual is my co-host, Brett Nolan of AppAddict.net. Join us this week as we're invited to sift through the App Store on our iPads to try to reign forever. How are you doing today, Brett? I'm doing pretty good. I, I loved playing Reigns on my iPad and sifting through invites. This is always a fun time of year when we get these invites because they're always crazy. Yeah, we're literally sifting through invites this year because... So we've talked about Apple's upcoming event, and now they've made it official. They sent out invites to everyone that is going to be in attendance. It's happening next Tuesday, October 30th at 10 a.m. Eastern. Keep in mind that's Eastern. Normally, Apple events are Pacific. So if you are on the West Coast, your normal kind of 10 a.m. thing, now it's made for the East Coast. So it's going to be 7 a.m. on the West Coast. Yeah, no no wait until 1 p.m. for me. I can watch it at 10 a.m., nice early in the morning, and get it. I can feel like yes. you. And so that <laughs> idea of sifting is that Apple sent out a lot of unique invites. It's all these different designed versions of that Apple logo. And it's not clear how many have been sent out. I think as of this recording, 65 different ones have been seen of this differently designed Apple logo. And... The entire invite emphasizes there's more in the making. That's the title. That's the tagline. And so we have this whole iPad idea. So it it means that, or at least I'm thinking it means, it's going to be on the creative side. You know, because we've had past Apple events where the iPad is positioned as this pro workplace kind of aid. Now this is, we're going to position the iPad as this creativity device. So that probably means they're going to have new apps designed specifically for that, as well as a new Apple Pencil geared towards creative design, drawing, all that good stuff. And I think that each one of these Apple logos, this is pure speculation, but is designed by artists and designers using the new iPad Pro, using the new Apple Pencil. And so that way Apple can tie it all together. Yeah, I think you're definitely right on on that call. And plus, I mean, last year the iPad event was held at some school, and this year, and it was all focused on education. This year, it's being held at the Brooklyn Academy of Music, and so it's all going to be about creativity and makers using this device to come up with creative things. And whether we see something actually related to music with it, I don't know. But I think guaranteed we're seeing the new iPads with that larger screen and some sort of new Apple Pencil. I don't know how it's going to be different, but I think those are pretty much guaranteed. And then beyond that is just all gravy, whatever else we happen to get. You know, just looking through some of these Apple logos, these would make great posters. Just there's some really creative design work for all these Apple logos. So if you get a chance, try to just find all the different ones that have appeared. Yeah, and they're gorgeous. I think they make good like wallpaper art. Maybe you're gonna get all sixty something of these available as wallpapers on the on the new iPad. Who knows? That's a good idea too. And you know, beyond the iPad, we have our kind of built-in expectations of the all-screen design, the new Apple Pencil, new processor, all that kind of good stuff, Face ID. But it's also likely that the MacBook is updated. You know, Apple's twelve-inch really thin version kind of that cross between the air and the pro so they should update that one and then the mac mini hasn't been updated in like four years and it should probably get an update and maybe it kind of blends itself towards creativity or pro or some kind of functionality beyond 
really doing nothing in Apple's lineup at this point. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm thinking also with the iPad, we're going to, I think we may see the end of the lightning jack on there. I think we're going to uh, USB-C to be able to charge this thing up faster. And we're also going to have lose the headphone jack finally. Uh, I think it's going to be just like the the 10s. We're going to be shifting to that format and everything's kind of going to be more uniform Uh I'm wondering if we're going to see some of these examples, if they do do Macs and iPads, if we're going to see more examples of these apps that were kind of cross-platform, across both platforms, and see more creativity apps in that space. You know, that makes me wonder, what if they made the iPad where it could be kind of like a Wacom tablet accessory? where you know it connects right to your Mac and you use it as your little drawing pad. I know that with the previous Apple Pencil and the way the iPad screen work, it doesn't have that super ultra sensitivity in comparison, but maybe Apple did that or changed some things to appeal more to that creative design where it could truly be your only device to use. You know, cuz right now I think a lot of creative people say that they use it as kind of a sketch idea you know it's where I brainstorm and stuff but I'm I'm actually doing work that's going to be published or put anywhere to the public then I'm going to use different platform yeah I mean that is a good uh good thought because especially if it is up to this pro level where it has the the just it works just as well as one of these professional tablets that people would use to draw on a Mac. If you have that instant connectivity, especially if they had something that was a super fast, even wired or wireless connection to the Mac, that it there was no lag between what you're drawing and what appears. I mean, yeah, that would be an ideal situation because then they would have the fidelity on the device to be able to draw if they were just using it as a sketch tablet, but then to be able to bring it over to their Mac and just continue using the same device that they're already used to drawing on and they have this pencil with them, then it seems like a, a perfect solution for portability and be able to have like that professional level quality as well. It kind of makes me wish I was more creative inclined or have any kind of drawing ability whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I actually haven't. I bought the pencil, the the original pencil, and I, I thought I would sketch a lot more and draw and doodle. And I really haven't used it that much. Yeah, and so it's also worth noting that the iPhone X, XS, XS Max, it uses an OLED display, but the iPhone XR uses the LED display, and it's likely that the iPad Pro, Apple's not going to put a big 10.5 inch OLED display not yet anyway not this year I don't think it's uh makes sense cost wise but so keep that in mind it's probably just going to be an LED screen like the 10R yeah probably not who knows maybe they do it in the in the 11 inch but not the 12.9 or maybe they go out and put it in the 12.9 figuring that's an expensive device anyways and then they just leave it out for the the 11 inch, which is there. Hopefully, let's sell a whole bunch of these device. Maybe yeah, we have a pro like an iPad Pro Pro where that 13 inch is like a grand or 1200 because it has that OLED, and then they have like the 699, 799, 10.5 inch. Right, right. Because right now it's only a hundred dollar difference between the 10.5 and the 12.9 because they're identical beyond the screen size so they'd have to do something to really get that high-end bump price to 
really make that pro name worth it. Yeah, I, I, at this point, I mean, I guess it's going to come down to pricing. I don't foresee myself upgrading, it, but if I did, I would probably bump to the 12.9-inch screen because that would make more sense to do an upgrade from what I have now than just to, to upgrade to the newest device. But uh, especially if it's insane more money, like 1100 bucks, <laughs> now, you're, now you're talking about like a, a MacBook price at, almost at that point that... I don't know. I couldn't justify that. I, I'm. That's what I'm actually most curious out of this whole thing is to see where the pricing goes. Because last year was all about let's reduce the price of the iPad, but now we're talking about the iPad Pros, and I think they're going to make a bigger jump between the pricing between that entry level and then the Pros. Yeah, and so we're going to be watching along with everybody else again next Tuesday. They're live from New York. It's going to be at 7 a.m. So 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern. So set your clocks, set your calendars, and get ready. The day before Halloween, we have some brand new iPads and Mac stuff. Yep. Maybe the AirPower will get some love, too. Who knows? Or the AirPods. Maybe we'll see the AirPod 2s finally show up. Yeah, all those little pieces. But speaking of the iPhone XR, Apple did make pre-orders available they were going to be 1019 1019 is passed and pre-orders i don't know if it was a lack of interest uh sufficient supply but the pre-order windows of you know launch day availability lasted quite a while but then you follow that up and then reports from third-party sources are saying that the launch was more successful than the iphone 88 plus of just the 10r you know excluding the 10s and the 10s max so I'm not exactly sure. You know, there's first-hand experience of watching the Windows stay launch day available for a long period of time versus then after the fact people telling me that their demand is actually upticked. So I don't know what to believe. Yeah, I mean, right now if you go on, it looks like most of the options were like delivers between November 5th and the 12th. And at the Apple event, they said they would ship them out on the 26th of October. So really you're only looking at about a week delay so, yeah, were they, did they have enough supply to cover it? Because the rumors I've been hearing is this thing is going to be maybe even the most popular out of all three of the new models that they came out with this year. That This 10R is perfectly priced and sized for what people want. They don't really seem to care that it's only a 720p screen and not 1080p, but... I don't know. It seems like it's going to do really well, even though, like you said, the 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 release day window seemed to be open for quite a while. And with that in mind, I mean, maybe it helps that there's five different colors to kind of balance it out. So oh, true, you know, true, yeah. I, I don't know what goes into it, but if you start to see a bunch of blue, red, and yellow, and green phones out there, then I guess you know that the 10R was pretty popular. Yeah, yeah. Although the 10C didn't, or whatever, the 6C. Yeah, the 5C. Or 5C, that's what it was. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that didn't do all that hot, but, <laughs> and that had and colors. So, yeah. th that's, so they're kind of trying to, this is essentially the 10R is the successor to the 5C in a way, but then trying not to sacrifice performance. You know, it doesn't have an old processor, it still has the A12, it's just essentially the screen, and then the screen uses LED instead of OLED, but the 6.1 inch is just slightly bigger than the iPhone XS, 
you know, it's smaller than the Max, but I think it fits in between the two. Right, right. I think it's more the size of the old Plus, right? Yeah. Is that what it was? Yeah. Except there's no top and bottom bar. So that's more screen. Maybe people are going to like this model. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I guess time will tell. We'll see the reviews when they come out. I, neither of us are picking up, so you won't get firsthand experience from either of us. But uh, it'll be interesting to see once the dust settles where it falls within the sales. Yep. And then I know you had an update on your Apple Watch. Yeah, so I I figure I'll regularly update you on my impressions of this Apple Watch as as we go. And so, in short, I love this thing. Like, I really <laughs> should have switched a long time ago. And so, I within the past few months, I've, I've started to exercise a lot more. And this thing is absolutely incredible for exercising. So, I did, over the weekend, I did my first ever 5K. And so I went to the to, to the 5K, lined up in shorts and a t-shirt, and it was only 40 out, but I was going to run. So <laughs> I just had my watch and a pair of Bluetooth headphones, and I had all my music preloaded on there, and I just wanted this thing to be able to help me make sure I maintain my pace and hit my goal of finishing it in 27 minutes. And so I set it up, went into workouts, and... I didn't realize this, but there's an option right in there to tell you this is the pace I want. And what it does is it measures every mile and tells you what pace you're currently going and gives you a little alert if you're going too slow or too fast for the pace you kind of want to maintain so that you can make sure you hit your goal. And so I set this up and I started running and then started my music. And then I just going, going. I didn't hear an alert because it doesn't alert you if you're on pace. And I looked down and there I am. I'm on pace. I could see after the first mile popped up there. My time was 8 minutes and 14 seconds. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. So I just continued going. And I ended up finishing the race. Got 27 minutes and 4 seconds. So 4 seconds slightly slower. But it was just incredible to be able to go out there and do this without having to carry my phone, without having to carry anything else, and everything's right there on the watch. And here I am, like, almost two days later, and the battery life is still at 20%. And this morning I did a workout, and with uh, iOS uh, WatchOS 5, it automatically can detect what type of workout you're doing. So I got on the rowing machine and I forgot to pick my workout and pick rowing machine. I'm like, oh, great. I'm not even going to get credit for this. All of a sudden, like halfway through, I'm doing 10 minutes on the rowing machine. Halfway through, it my watch buzzes. I take a quick peek and it says, are you doing a rowing workout? And it knew. It knew the workout I was doing. I tapped the thing and then it gave me credit. It had all the time that I started that workout. It was recording it just in case. And it gave me credit for the full 10 minutes of this workout and had all the stats for the workout. So it's just been like, if you're anyone who does who's doing any kind of running or exercising or anything. I mean, yes, this thing really works, and it's pretty darn amazing at how intelligent and smart it is and just freeing to not have to carry around your phone and everything else if you just want to be listening to music you have stored on there or I, I think you could you could stream it from your phone if you just want to put it off to the side. But I just kind of made a playlist on iTunes and then it synced right up with when I added that playlist uh, to my watch, all those songs got copied over and I was good to go. That's definitely worth noting if you're doing any kind of activities, exercises or reinvigoration you know comic-con fit weight loss anything you're trying to do the apple watch series 
4 is definitely going to help. And even if you have an older model or you see an older model on discount, as long as it's compatible with watchOS 5, which is everything except the very first OG Apple Watch, <laughs> then you're going to have that automatic workout. So i got to imagine the latest version is going to identify it better. But the ability to not only identify that you are working out, but to figure out that you're rowing is, I think, the best kind of selling factor that Apple should have highlighted that more from the event. I didn't even know that's what it was going to be able to do. Yeah, they mentioned that it was going to be able to detect things, and I don't know, because I have done a rowing workout before, if it knows because of previous stuff, or if because uh, it just can tell those motions, those particular motions of how your arms are moving for different workouts. Like, I I haven't, usually I remember, I'm going to probably try more often to forget to hit the thing and just see what other things it can detect and see if it can figure it out. Uh, and I'll let you know if it, if it figures other things out. But for uh, I, I'm just really impressed that it kind of saved me from myself for forgetting to, to do this. And that's pretty much the Apple News of the Week. And now it's time to sift through the App Store, beginning with Sift News Therapy. And if you're looking for it on the App Store, it's S-I-F-T. And essentially, the app is more of a tech demo than a new alternative to your go-to news app. But the main idea behind it is that news can be overwhelming. You know, you open up your favorite news app and you're greeted with a ton of different stories. And usually these stories are catered towards specific slants, depending on who writes them and the bias of whatever news source. And so essentially this one tries to inform you through kind of more factual data than relying on opinion. And so they have an example article in place about immigration, and it kind of gives you two sides of immigration, how it can potentially hurt or benefit the economy, and as well as hurt or benefit kind of social structure of the society. So these pieces aren't like this little three-paragraph thing, and then you're done. The Right now, just the demos in there, one of them is 37 pages the other one is 67 pages, though some of those pages admittedly include graphs where you'll have different kind of highlights and pop-ups. But again, these articles are really about informing you. So speaking of graphs, you'll have kind of a whole data set, data trends, rather than just opinion. So you again, it's kind of trying to tell you about how these things kind of piece together. And then there's also these little quizzes or tests to kind of gauge your preconceived notions going in so you might try to answer them based on what you think and then when you're wrong you see why you're wrong how you're wrong and maybe that changes kind of your opinion from there so again it's this whole kind of experiment in changing the way you look at news rather than being a new go-to news source right it almost felt more like you were sitting in a college lecture than yes. actually reading like a news thing. So, and the, I did like the interactive piece where it kind of got you involved and it made you think about it more than maybe you're just quickly swiping through some news story. It does tell you at the beginning when you're choosing those two options that one is sentence and the second one is about 10 minutes, which to me, if I see there's a 10 minute article that I got to read through, that's going to make me feel <laughs> overwhelmed about reading about something about immigration for 10 minutes. But I, I slugged through. So I actually read the entire seven-minute seven, seven minute one, and I dug in. They had one, like, go in-depth into tech jobs, which, hey, that's what I'm in. So I 
dug down into that and I was I was interested I I was I I knew some of the information just because uh, being in the industry I, I knew where some of these jobs were going and and what was happening uh, and I made it through the whole seven minute one honestly I didn't after going through that, I really didn't want to go through the whole 10-minute one. So I just swiped through that very quickly and didn't really read through the whole thing. What I wished this app would do was... Those were the only two news articles that were on there. I wish there were like more topics and they limited them to five to seven minutes apiece rather than having two topics on two articles on the same topic, which you may not even have an interest in. Uh but give you other choices and have them be somewhat brief. They can still get pretty in-depth in that seven minutes. I think once you're at ten minutes, that's a little too long to to kind of really make sure you're going to have someone's attention on a mobile device. So, I, I don't know. I think it needs some work. It, it did definitely feel like a tech demo. They, they ask you questions about, are you willing to pay for this? How often do you want to see news articles? And the shortest period was one week, once a week. So, I mean, obviously these things take time to put together. They have the sources for all of their data in there. So it's not going to be like a daily event where you get new articles every day. So I guess that's probably why they feel that the longer 7 to 10 minutes is fine. But I think it's not going to be a replacement for your news if it's only coming out once a week. Yeah, I think news kind of is the wrong word. It's more informative in-depth pieces like you said from a college class these are kind of like an experiment in that and admittedly that survey at the end was a bit discouraging to say that the shortest period you could pick is weekly i could see an in-depth seven minute article per day you're telling me you can't hire staff to be able to produce that especially if you're going to focus on different topics you know if it's all the same topic that's one thing but if you're going to do different topics you could have a daily article and then to ask, would I pay for this or not? As it stands, one weekly article, I can't imagine subscribing or paying anything for that, especially because we're so used to 24-hour news cycle. But even the antiquated idea of a newspaper still comes out daily where you're going to have these in-depth kind of articles. So it's weird to say, will I pay for a weekly, monthly bi-monthly idea well especially when you don't even know what other content they're gonna have at this point you've seen one article or two articles about immigration like what other topics are they going to be diving into is it even information you're even interested in diving deeper into so i think that's if they're going to charge for it they really need to have a broader series of topics or at least every week come out with one article in each of these different topic or each of these different like classic entertainment or technology and politics and all the broad categories that might that someone's going to at least be interested in one of those if not all of them but i don't know it seemed too early for them to ask about monetary cost of the app and at least give more content out to get give people a better idea of what this thing's going to be than just how it is right now and then if they ask or they start out by positioning the app as an antithesis to overwhelming news and then if the survey completes it asks, was this overwhelming and if you say yes like 10 minute article you're overwhelmed by that then 
it kind of defeats the purpose of the app from the outset. So that's a bit odd as well. Yeah, well, I, I said I'm not overwhelmed by the news from the start. I, I think I put I was overwhelmed at the end because there were 10-minute articles. I think I put it in there. But, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, I, this is one I, I am going to keep on my device just to see if new content gets added because I thought it was very well produced, the, the content they did have on there. Uh, I'm just not sure that there's going to be enough that I'm interested in. I would never pay for something like this. There's plenty of free news sources that I just can't justify spending money on a, on a something like this. And then I also think that the very idea of it kind of is preaching to the choir where it's already catered to a specific market where somebody is going to have a smartphone, they're going to go to the app store, and they're going to do more than download Facebook and Twitter. So you already have this relatively tech-savvy person, and then you also have a person that would be interested in downloading an alternative news source with the description that it states. So I think its appeal and the market that's going to download it isn't necessarily going to benefit what from what it's trying to offer. True. Yeah, I didn't even think of that angle. But yeah, yeah, you're totally right. <laughs> so... It's an option. It's definitely interesting, though I don't know how the future is going to play out for it. Because as of right now, it's really neat what they did with this one article or two articles that they gave us. But beyond that, I can't really say much just like you. Yep. Yeah. So we'll just keep an eye on it. Maybe we'll have an update if we see something uh, get added to it that's interesting or we figure out how they're going to monetize it. Yep, so again, that's Sift News Therapy, and now it's time for some new games. And this week, we're starting out with a very familiar mashup. So first, we have Game of Thrones. A bunch of people know that. And then we have Reigns, which a bunch of people know that. So if you're not familiar with Game of Thrones, I'm not going to ask for a summation right now. If you're not familiar with Reigns, though, it's made... Well, there's been two versions. One, you're a king. The second one, you're a queen. Both are set in medieval times or ancient times, and you kind of work your way forward through time. You swipe left or right through cards to make decisions based on those cards, and every decision that you make is going to impact these four factors, whether it's the strength of your army, your funds, the strength of the religion, and then your happiness of the people so every single decision you're going to make is going to impact those four things either up and down and you get a little dot over those four items you don't know if it's going to be negative or positive you kind of work your way through the game to figure out that negative or positive but if any of those four things reaches empty or reaches full you lose so you kind of try to balance them in the middle you might even make certain decisions regardless what you would do personally to just make like say you have clergy is super strong and if you agree with one more clergy thing you're going to lose so maybe you go against it and you might not want to go against it but you have to to keep playing through the game and so now they've infused game of thrones with it so you have that familiar fight for the iron throne you start out you get to play as denarius and then as you go you start to get to interact with familiar characters like you have Tyrion, you have Varys, you get to unlock Arya and Cersei and you just have all those familiar characters and cast but it's a whole kind of alternative storyline to where the show is going or even where the books are going just it uses all the characters of the world but then it has that familiar reigns idea where each card is kind of builds its own storyline and the main kind of differentiator beyond the cast and characters 
is that there's a lot more events in this game. There's a lot of different cards you can swipe through and then it unlocks these specialized events which unlock new sets of cards, new deck of cards for special abilities and special encounters for your characters to then potentially unlock new characters to play as to sit on the Iron Throne. So it has that familiarity of Game of Thrones to kind of entice you as unlock abilities to keep playing through the game. Yeah, they said we have uh, Devolver Digital is has one of their pop, really popular IPs and we're merging it with an HBO property. I'm like, this is Game of Thrones reigns, isn't it? And like, it just is the perfect mashup. Like, it didn't even take me two seconds to figure out what they could possibly have matched up between HBO and Devolver Digital because it just... It makes perfect sense. Like, if you've played either of the Rain games, then you can just totally see how this is going to work with Game of Thrones. And if you are a fan of Game of Thrones, you definitely want to pick this up. Because it, as the characters, like the, the words on the screen, you're swiping through these tiles, the characters have that great artwork that's in all of the Reigns games. And, like, all of the characters you know and love from, from the book or TV series, uh... It, are all in there and they're immediately recognizable and then just the writing is so well done in this that i can hear Tyrion's voice in my head as he's as he's talking away like i it just it just you just dive right in it's because of the ip you just well the gameplay if you've ever played either of the reigns games before you know it's like super addictive you get into it you you die and then you retry to bring <laughs> up your throne again and you just want to keep on replaying and it's almost more so with this just because you want to unlock those other characters that you know and you're like oh i i definitely want to get john snow i know i know how he would act and then you unlock john snow and then you're you're doing things like john snow and you're answering the things like john snow because this is how he would answer it and so you know like sort of what you should be doing but then again you're like what if Jon Snow wasn't such a nice guy and then you start going the other way and you just I don't it just made it even more interesting to me because of these characters that you've like I've only watched the series I, I haven't read the books uh, but you know these characters and now to be able to actually kind of play as them and act like them or not act like them uh, it just adds that whole extra little element to the game where uh, if it were just like some queen you didn't know about or a king, you didn't have like this familiarity to to really drive the story that much more, if you know what I mean. I know exactly what you mean because both of those games I kind of petered out playing after we recorded the podcast. I mean, I really enjoyed it as we're prepping for the podcast. I might have played it a week or two after but then you end up just not coming back to it. This one, though, like you said, there's all of that familiarity. So every single interaction is different. Like you go and talk to different maesters, you know, so you have that whole thing. Or you have the Kingsguard or Jamie comes in or, you know, Sam comes in. And you have all these whole kind of not even just the characters you play as, but the people you're going to potentially interact with is this whole kind of world that you're familiar with. So definitely if you're a fan of Game of Thrones, this is a must-have. It just every single thing they've done balances out the books and movies and the story and the characters so well. Like you said, when the text comes up, they already have great writing for these generic kings and queens. Of course, they're going to build it on 
when they have source material to come through and then that's going to keep you going because you have you start out with Daenerys like I said and then there's nine potential characters you can unlock and play as so that gives you that whole kind of added benefit to go after and not only that like any Reigns game you have this specific set of challenges going in and so maybe you answer something differently because you want to get that challenge like a challenge is meet or finally encounter a northern person's benefits or get Cersei on trial and so when you encounter these different things you're like oh maybe I better swipe right right here because then that will open up this whole different pathway here even if it kind of ruins your whole structure of the four little tiers just because you have those challenges and in this case those challenges are directly tying to the characters that you know and you have this whole different kind of interaction and maybe I'll unlock one of the nine different characters to play as. Yeah, I, it's interesting you mentioned those those challenges because they are going to mess with you because you know you want to complete those and yet you could have, you, you know it could be in direct competition to surviving. So you know by doing this, you're probably going to seal your fate and you're probably going to die and have to and come back as another character rather than continue on this path that you were going on. But then again, that's the whole goal. You want to complete those challenges to then unlock various paths and other things. So you constantly have that battle of, do I answer for the goals to try to lead it towards these goals? Or do I answer to try to get balance back in those four stats so that I can't survive longer? And I think that's what's so fun about this game is that you're going to die, you're going to keep coming back, but unlocking those different branches and figuring out how to get to the different branches or unlock these other, hit the challenges, is what keeps you coming back in all of the Reigns games, not just this Game of Thrones one. But I think that's where this the whole structure of this game is so interesting and fun. It kind of harkens back to the old choose your own adventures and yeah, you're going to die. And in those, you could always cheat with the books and keep your finger on a page. You're like, yeah, I didn't really choose that. I'm going back here and, and do it over again. But this, it has that built in mechanism for you to then kind of restart and try to make it back to this path and, and go down a different road. So there's a lot of content that you will hit some repetitiveness as you kind of replay things, but it's the nature of the beast and you will always find some new way to go or some new thing to do. Uh, and just it, because of this game of Thrones, I think is just a perfect marriage and something that's going to have me playing this for quite some time, even more so than... I, I, I thought Reigns Her Majesty was better than the first one. That one I played for quite a while. This one I think I'm going to play for even more. And then, of course, you have all those spectacular deaths because every reign is going to come to an end. That's an eventuality. There's nothing you can do where you're going to rule forever. And so they made it so each one is a spectacular downfall. You know, it's... There might be humor to it, there might be devastation to it, but no matter what you pick, there's going to be its own unique storyline and ending. And then, you know, with uh, with Reigns or Reigns Her Majesty, all of them were tied to a specific, you have this single leader. You know, every death was based on that. This one, all nine of the potential leaders you can unlock all have their own demises and different kind of chance encounters 
and so you'll just want to keep playing to unlock and then keep trying and find all the different card decks. It seems like they expanded the number of card decks from Reigns to Reigns Her Majesty and now from Reigns Her Majesty to Reigns Game of Thrones. Yeah, I mean, it's Game of Thrones. You're going to expect deaths and <laughs> lots of bloody, brutal deaths. Yep. So, yeah. And so that's Reigns Game of Thrones. It's three ninety nine. It's universal. And then there's Max and the Curse of the Brotherhood. So if you've ever played Max and the Magic Marker, this is essentially not really a sequel, but like it's just more of Max, essentially. And so Max and the Magic Marker is this 2D animated, you know, familiar game where you have this little orange marker and you draw your finger on screen to create platforms to jump onto. So it's a platformer that lets you aid your own kind of adventure. And so Max the Curse of Brotherhood makes everything 3D. So there's whole new graphics engine. Max has brand new detail. His brother is in this new strange land as Max zone doing, but you still have to go and save him. But everything, it's more of that 2.5D because everything that you do is in the horizontal plane. So you just move left to right. So you get you don't have to worry about any of that kind of exploring in 3D. So you just focus on moving left to right. And then the magic marker comes back into play. But now instead of just drawing kind of like a crayon on screen, your marker is infused with the power to connect to nature. So now you can create, you can kind of move the earth or move a water flow. And that's going to propel Max forward and create a pathway. So it's the familiar game, but now they've kind of expand upon it in every way and just flesh it out with more detail. Yeah, this is this is from Flashbulb, who put out Kalimba, uh, I think last year, the year before, yeah, which year. Uh, that was a port of a console game. And this, again, is a port of a console game. So this came out, I think, in 2014. And uh, I, I know it was out in the Xbox. I'm not sure what other platforms it was out uh, for. But it's... Yeah, it creates this much more realistic-looking world that you're running, jumping, climbing up ladders, and and exploring, and makes it a, a puzzly platformer because now you have that element with the marker where you're building and destroying like these pillars to be able to create spots that Max can jump on to reach other areas, or maybe he has to uh, lure like this creature that can stab him with a bunch of spikes onto this uh, platform, and then you destroy the platform to move this creature out of the way, so then you can get over it and around it because you can't jump over like this creature otherwise he'll kill you and so it it creates a really interesting like mix of platformer but then you have those puzzle elements which kind of slow down the action a bit so you're trying to <coughs> excuse me trying to figure out how can i get to this certain space and i, I don't know it almost kind of this was the one sticking point for me where you're you kind of have to lay off the whole movement to then kind of adjust where he's going to go and then move again so it's kind of it's not as like a nice flow that you would normally expect in a platformer where you're running jumping moving constantly it seems like you really have to like come into a, a level then kind of move things around and then use those things and then destroy them or move them to a different location and then move again. So to me, and I tried it on the Xbox as well, just to see that it wasn't like an issue with the 
uh, iPad versus the Xbox. And because on the iPad, you're moving with uh, these little virtual buttons for left and right movement and jump. And then you touch the screen and drag up and down or swipe to destroy the objects that you're building. So if you're raising up like a part of the ground, you tap on where this little glowing area is and you drag up with your finger and then you kind of raise it to a certain height. And then if you want to go higher or lower, you have to destroy it and then drag it to the new height. And so you really can't be moving while you're doing that unless you're way more dexterous than I am. But, uh, that so that felt a little awkward to me and i just i almost wish it was like more of a flow because you get this great flow going as he's jumping over sections and then swinging on vines and then jumping to other sections but then when you come to the, like the puzzly spots it's kind of like this weird slowdown and with the xbox controller you did it with like the shoulder buttons and it was almost more awkward on the, on the xbox to be honest so it kind of felt more natural to be using your finger to draw seeing as you are supposedly doing this with like a magic marker uh but to me that was the really only sticking part of it otherwise it's beautifully rendered and the the fast moving sections work just as well on on the Xbox as they did on this new iPad or I used it on my iPad but the iOS version of the game uh, everything looked beautiful played beautiful never really kind of slowed down or anything uh, and I was just impressed with how nice of a port that it was over to the iOS platform the interesting juxtaposition is that it does have that quick action sequence portions of the game like just the very beginning before you have the magic marker it's an outstanding kind of fast-paced platformer where you have to leap across crumbling platforms and then a big monsters chasing after you jump on rope climb up the rope get the little momentum then fly and catch onto a ladder so it has this really great flow and then like you said you get to the marker portion and now you go you stand on a platform then you adjust yourself and then you drag the little platform here and then you do your little jump sequence and then you just backtrack and you always have to then pause and stop so like you said it's this weird kind of incongruency of the potential of the game because they kind of flash at the start like I understand the whole idea is the magic marker that's like the core of the game but they've made such a good action platformer that maybe they kind of should have went away from the marker or made it so you draw in advance or I don't know it just seemed like the puzzles break down what they really do have especially because the jump button also wasn't perfect for me there was times where you know you have two platforms in a row you jump once and then you tap in the same exact spot, and then he just falls to his death. For some reason, on that second jump, he didn't make it. And I thought it was just me, so I kept playing the game, trying different levels, and it happened more often than not. Yeah, the jump... I, yeah, I did, I did fall into that trap a few times with the jump. It's just... Like, especially going from... Like, I knew they created Kalimba, which was just constantly super fast action. And, so, and then you start out with those super fast sequences at the beginning... And I know it's the, like, like you just said, the marker is the whole hook of this thing. But I felt that was almost to the detriment of what could have been a faster, more fun platformer. I, I mean, 
it's not it's not Flashbulb's fault. I mean, they did a great job bringing the the original game to iOS. It's just, I I guess it was more my expectations versus what we got. I mean, if you it is a well-made puzzle platformer. If you go in knowing that there's not going to be this quick action all the way through, then they do succeed in creating like a puzzle platformer. It's just going to be a little more methodical than this fast-paced all the way through. I think that just setting you up at the beginning with all that fast-paced stuff kind of throws things off. Once you get to the other, the other thing I found kind of annoying, which I wish you could skip, which you couldn't skip on the Xbox version either, are all the like they're one of the collectible things you do throughout the game is there's this evil guy and he has these eyeball things that are growing in all different places so he could see what's going on and you can rip those out and there's like 80 of them or 75 of them or something to collect throughout the entire game. Every time you rip one out. You have to watch this little animated sequence. Granted, it's short, but you have to watch this little cutscene almost of him ripping this thing out. And once you get like 10, 20 of these, I get the point. I don't really need to see this every single time he's pulling one of these out. And so I wish there was a way to option to just turn those off because I just want to get things moving to the next level. Especially because these are usually like side things that you've now drawn some stuff with the marker to get over there to grab this thing. So you, to make sure you didn't skip it before you move on to the next level. Uh, and so I, I kind of wish that was optional to see those. But uh I think if you go in knowing what it is, I think you'll enjoy it more. If you're expecting like this fast flowing thing, I think you might be slightly disappointed. But if you're, I guess if you're familiar with the Max games, you're going to know there's this whole element of drawing, which kind of has to slow things down. It's not possible for you to like keep on moving and drawing on the screen with any kind of accuracy uh, to have this be a fast, fast platformer with that element involved. You don't have to sugarcoat it or second-guess yourself. You can just pretty much say it. They made a mistake in the design of the game. You're, like, trying to say, oh, it's still okay. It's not, okay? They <laughs> they just don't... They have to decide. It's either all puzzle platformer or it's all action platformer. The two do not fit together. And since they ported Kalimba over and they had that beautiful jump button... Like, Kalimba requires you to control two different characters and jump almost simultaneously as they're on alternating pathways on the screen. And you don't even have to think about the controls a second time. You, they just work perfectly. You never have to think about the controls. So this one, you're only controlling Max, and they couldn't even nail a standard jump from platform to platform. That was the most disappointing factor for me. I mean, the game, like you said, it's a beautifully rendered and created port. If the jump button isn't perfect, and the very core game from years past, regardless of the port, isn't as good as it could be for this type of platformer. Because even Max and the Magic Marker, it doesn't have the action sequences. It's all puzzle platformer. So to kind of give you both, it just doesn't work. Right, yeah. I think they should have left off that whole opening sequence. And then you would have just gone right into the puzzle platformer. And yes, the jump button does need to be improved. But I think if they left that piece out and just had it be the way it is, where it's methodical throughout, I think it would have been a better game. Yeah, and then the puzzles aren't 
a hundred percent engaging. They're a little bland. Just you're kind of going through the motions at times. Yeah, I mean, they do feel kind of. Uh repetitive once you start to see him i don't know if as you like i've only i played for about an hour or so um i haven't gotten i i think i'm about five or six worlds in uh, i don't know if they start to change up the level design as you get further in i i i'm gonna try to finish this and see uh but at least for the first four or five i mean there's not a lot of variation i mean it's a lot of just building up the thing jumping jumping uh destroying maybe building it slightly higher so you can go up to another area so it, it does get a little repetitive yep and that's max the curse of the brotherhood it is 499 it's universal and then there's paco forever we've talked about the previous paco games and you know the original it's this quick action endless arcade where you're going to survive probably less than 30 seconds and then they expanded it with this new version which was more like reckless getaway where you kind of have this open world mode where you have this whole map and you can kind of do what you want like there's this overarching structure you still have the constant game idea which you're driving a getaway car and there's all kinds of cars coming after you so paco 2 really was their best effort in just making it this whole deluxe kind of experience where you have this big expansive map to drive across and there's kind of varying objectives like get to the getaway point here and then go pick up some merchandise here and alternating to make you really traverse that big huge map and so Paco Forever goes back to the original rather than focusing on the sequel and for me that's kind of disappointing because you're condensed in this super small area it's this really quick action arcade setup. Again, 30 seconds is the main challenge. The main kind of distinction is that you have these special abilities that will come along, like activate an airstrike or have a drone come or freeze the enemy cops or make them tiny, make your card giant. You know, little kind of Mario Kart style effects. But the core game, when they say forever, they mean it's an endless arcade action game that's super simple and compared to the previous game that they just made. Yeah, Paco Forever is a step backwards from Paco 2. I the having that expansive map and those reason to navigate it and try and go to different locations and always outrunning that big crowd of cars that are behind you was so much better than going back to this really super focused in map that's too small that you can't even see like cars will just come flying off the into the from the sides of the screen anywhere it just seems like dumb luck whether you're gonna avoid the the cop cars coming in then you also have to just randomly avoid things that are going to come in from the screen because you're so focused in you can you really have no idea of where you're going i love that zoomed out map that they had in paco 2 my only complaint about paco 2 was that the upgrades for the cars were ridiculously expensive like you had to grind 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 in order to unlock additional cars and this one i did like how it was more merit based but some of these challenges it's like nearly impossible to survive 45 minutes with a limousine that is lumbering along and so big that more likely you're going to hit something as it comes onto the screen that you don't even know was coming 
because you you don't have enough view around you. Like, let me zoom out, pan out a little bit more, and give me a little more view or something so that I have an idea. Of, or if I hit a tree or something small, not a cop car. I understand if a cop car hits me, I'm arrested, I'm done. But if I hit something small, let me hit, take one hit and before I die. Don't, like, take me out as soon as I hit anything and everything. So, I don't know. It, to me, this was really a step backwards. I think you're you're better off sticking with Paco 2 if you pick that up. Uh, this is really very limited fun, just the way it's, it's set up. Yep, and it's disappointing because we know what they can make. You know, if they never made Paco 2, this kind of is a sequel, essentially. This should be Paco 2, and Paco 2 should be called an actually good game. So, uh, <laughs> this one is not actually a good game, but it's free. It's universal. It's called Paco Forever. And then, one last game to round out the week is Pivotal, which is a matching game. And I know we've talked about plenty. There's a billion on the App Store. But this one, instead of a match three, it's essentially a match six. It comes from Radiant Games, who've made some excellent games in the past, though their most excellent games are usually dual-stick shooters or just really kind of action-heavy games. They have done a couple matching games in the past, but it's not kind of their forte or strong suit, so it's interesting for them to go back to it, though I understand how popular the matching genre is. So essentially, the entire game board has these pivot points, and you swipe to rotate four blocks in any direction and your goal is to create that match of six so you might need to rotate two pieces here and then two pieces up here to align with an existing two pieces to get that block of six and definitely making a match of six is tougher than making a match of three there's times you'll have five pieces on the board and you're like that's a huge chunk of the same color that's not being removed but that's just part of the challenge of the game yeah, I, I think where Radiant Games really excels is that fast-paced action. I don't think that the the slower, more methodical games are really their forte, but I did enjoy this one. So, it, like you said, it's, it's a lot more challenging than you might think. So you just look at this column, it's 5 by, I think, 10 or so, and it's filling up almost like Tetris-styled, like, new blocks pop... Bl- drop in and then now you got to take one of those groups and groupings of four and rotate them to try to get more of the same color together so they blow up and then maybe it'll cause a chain reaction so then when other pieces fall down they'll form a grouping of six and they'll take themselves out and you're constantly battling hoping not to have them come up and reach the top and so at first i i found like the rotation a little kind of almost like a hair trigger you start to move it and all of a sudden it'll spin around way more than you want it to and then eventually you start to get the the feel of it and you can rotate pretty well the nice thing is you can take your time so that rotating like this thing and dropping in the right spot is not like this rush and because of its oversensitivity you're not going to accidentally drop it the wrong way and then you're like going to end up kind of ruining the, your move and and killing yourself so um it, i did find it pretty interesting it's not i don't know how long i'm going to play this just because it felt really repetitive. I, I, I don't know if they're going to add additional game modes or additional things to really kind of switch things up. It seems like it's pretty much the same thing over and over again. Eventually, you have these bombs you can use to try to blow out areas. But I don't know. It just didn't seem to 
to change that much as you as you played. And I played for a fair amount of time before I, I died. I was able to keep on pulling out large amounts. So I don't know. It's it. I just missed that fat. When I saw Radiant Games was coming out with a new game, I'm like, ooh, another one of these. Fa- it's been a while since we got one of these really nice fast games, and so this was kind of a letdown. Yeah, because you know if you want to try a fast-paced rating game, check out Fireball SE or Inferno Plus, Inferno 2, even Super Crossfire. They've really done a good job. They're games like Slidris or uh, Sideswipe. You know, they're more matching games. They're good. They're good, you know, puzzle, slow-paced puzzle matching games. Definitely different than a lot of the onslaught on the App Store, but it's not even on the same par as their action games and Pivotal kind of fits in the same way and it's interesting that you mentioned something more because their other matching games have like four or six modes as soon as you fire up the game you're like there's a lot of different things to try this game it's the one game mode and once you kind of get the hang of it that's about it and though also it is worth mentioning it is super sensitive to swipe on any of those pivoted you know, sometimes you just want to do a quick little swipe and then all of a sudden it moves two different spots. So you have to kind of be deliberate deliberate with your swipe actions. Right. Uh, like, I think of it's a few years ago they released Crush, which that had multiple game modes, I think, right out of the gate. And that was more of a, a matching style game. And they had an option to, like, where I think that one, some of the modes were more faster paced, some were slower. But because that, I don't, I didn't see a way to, like, adjust the sensitivity. But because that rotation is just so sensitive, I don't think there's a way that they could have a fast paced version of this. So, like, give you a mode where it does constantly keep on adding new things. Because I think people would get too frustrated. I'm wondering if they did try it. And people were just getting too frustrated that... Because uh, at first I thought, oh, this, they're going to drop more blocks. They're going to drop more blocks. I'm trying to do it quickly. And then I realized that, no, they're not going to drop anything till I'm done making my move. And I can take my time. Uh, I'm wondering if they did try to do a fast mode. And it just didn't work because of how that just is difficult to control and, and do it with accuracy quickly. Yeah, that definitely could be the case. And maybe you reduce the sensitive sensitivity you put in like an arcade time-based mode. But as it stands, it's kind of like Paco Forever for me. Yeah, yeah. Again, yeah, this felt like a step down from what they've had before. Um, I don't know. Maybe they can do something, some changes to it in the future to, to make it more interesting. But as it stands, it, it was kind of a letdown. Yep, and so that's Pivotal, it's free, it's universal, and I think that's everything for episode 87. Yep, that's all I got. To everyone listening, we hope you enjoyed, and we'll talk to you next time. Talk to you later.